And uh, we are finishing up a series today. We've been in the last bunch of weeks now called My Get to Life, Finding Wonder in the Everyday. And I, this has been a fun conversation. What we've been doing is saying we're moving into a seasonal change, right? When we move from spring into summer, all of us kind of switch gears, right? Some of us would be graduating from high school, college. Some of us are finishing up a school year. A bunch of us would be taking time off of work or traveling. And we all stopped to watch history happen last week. Yeah, as the Cavs won the finals. That was awesome. And what we said is when, when that season changes, right, when, when there's a, a natural kind of break in the rhythm of our lives, there's a great little moment there if we stop and take advantage of it. So we can stop and look and say, where's my perspective on life right now? How am I viewing the roles and the responsibilities and the season that I'm in? Right? Kind of how do I feel about it and how would I view it and what's my perspective of it? So what we've been saying is there's a whole spectrum of how I might view my life and kind of view the circumstances of my life. We said on one extreme, I can view my life as something that I have to do, something that I'm stuck in my role, I'm stuck in my life a little bit, and if I view my life through that grid, my have-to life looks a lot like obligation, where I am this, I'm, I'm going to have to mow the lawn and I have to watch the kids and I have to go to work and I have to, have to, have to, and we said when I view my life that way, I feel a little bit like a slave in my own self. I'm kind of stuck here. And we said, nobody really wants to live that way. We said, the opposite can also be true, that I don't have to live my have-to life, I can live my get-to life, where instead of feeling obligation, I feel a sense of privilege. And I can view my life and my circumstances as a set of privileges and honors that I get to be where I am today. And what we said is that that matters a lot where I land on that spectrum. Right? Not, not doing it perfectly, but if I can land in one of these more than the other, it's going to make a big impact on who I become. If I land towards my have-to life more and more, what's going to happen is my heart's going to become harder, and I'm going to find resentment and bitterness and cynicism rise up in my heart, and I'm going to become the kind of person I don't want to be. If I land over here in my get-to life, what's going to happen is my heart will stay open, and it'll stay soft, and I'm going to find more and more peace and contentment, and I'm going to become a person of wonder, and I'm going to find that God is active in my life, and I can see it more and more because my heart is open to it. And we said, man, we want to live there. How do we stay in a place where we can live my get-to life more and more and more? And so we looked at a variety of different circumstances over the past couple of weeks. We, we've looked at, man, if my life is in a place where it's ideal, maybe my dreams are coming true, or maybe I'm in a place where I'm busy or life just feels mundane, probably a simple switch of language, replacing my have to with a get to can make a big, big difference. And a lot of you have been sharing that with me, saying I've been doing it and it's working. All right, when, when I find myself saying I have to mow the lawn or I have to run the kids there, I start saying I get to, and all of a sudden I realize, oh yeah, the wonder that I get to be where I am in life jumps up and triggers in my mind. That's, that's super helpful. We also said that life's not always that simple. It's not always that easy. That sometimes uh, life is, is super painful and difficult. When we find ourselves in the midst of trials, that get-to doesn't come so easy. And what we have to do in that circumstance is, is kind of work it through and wrestle it through with God and try to find wonder in the midst of even pain and suffering. The thing we said about is, though, it is possible. And, and we can find joy and find peace even in the midst of incredible pain. And then what we did last week, we took a look kind of underneath all of those circumstances. We said, at the end of the day, what's driving this or the engine to my get-to life is really where, where I would put my heart, 
right? Where my heart would land. And what we said last week is where we want to see our heart land is on the message of the gospel, on the message of the gospel. And what we said in essence is this, that the gospel is is the fact that I am deeply flawed, right? That, that even though God created me and he knows me, he loves me, that I have not lived up to God's standards, that I am a flawed human being, that we've all sinned. And the reality is that even though I'm deeply flawed, I'm also deeply loved. That, that's what Jesus was doing, is this God's expression of love and passion for me by sending his own son to the planet. Jesus would come and pay for my sin or my flaws, and he would die. If I accept that message, if I put my heart on the gospel and believe in Jesus, then I can be completely forgiven. I am deeply flawed, I'm deeply loved, and I can be completely forgiven through Christ. We said we want to get our hearts there, and if we can do that, then our hearts will stay open. And so we, what we said last week is step one is kind of getting my heart back to the gospel or getting it to the gospel in the first place. But we said we all know that it's not going to stay there on its own. We're going to answer the question today, how do I keep my heart there? Right? How do I, over time, as I start to lose steam, because we all do, how do I keep my heart kind of fixed on the gospel? And this is how I am. I tend to lose steam on things. Right? I'll get real excited and real focused and then kind of run out of gas. I think that's how we all are. I was thinking about my kids this week. I've got four kids, and uh, they're all little. You know, they're between nine and three. And so over the last bunch of years, we have spent an enormous amount of time at the zoo. I mean, the zoo is a massive part of our schedule in our life. And I noticed something fascinating about the zoo. Whenever we go to the zoo, my kids are fired up. doesn't matter if we've gone five times or 35 times. They are always like, yeah, animals, let's go. Let's go do this, right? And if you guys ever go to the Akron Zoo, uh, you kind of go on this prescribed loop around the zoo, and I kind of have that memorized right now, so I, I know where all the animals are, and you start off, and you start off with the penguins, right, and, and my kids will start with the penguins, and they're like, penguins, yes, right, and they're fired up, they're excited to go, and next, it's lemurs, lemurs, and they go through, and it's a high level of energy, man, all the way through the zoo, and they'll make it a couple hours like that, you know, and then we make it all the way up to the otter slide, if you've ever been to the otter slide, it's incredibly fast, by the way. Just to warn you, if you ever have your kids go down there, they shoot down very quickly. They'll do that about 50 times, you know, and then after we do the otter slide 50 times, they're starting to slow down a little bit, you know, and then we'll make it about three-quarters of the way through to the, real, the pinnacle of the entire zoo experience, which is the lion, and we make it to the lion, and they start melting down a little bit. They start slowing. They start doing, like, the stumble walk. <laughs> it's awesome. And, and then they're, they're hungry, and it's hot, and they're starting to whine. And then there's always this last leg of the race as you're walking out the zoo. And I feel terrible for these last animals, you know, because all the other animals get the hype of every child's joy and enthusiasm. And I'm always, like, checking to see where my kids are in the last one. We're walking out, they're exhausted. They're like, Dad, let's go to the van. And I'm like, look, guys, there's a deer. They're like, so what? Right? Who cares? They've completely lost steam on the whole experience. And that's how we are. Right? That's how I am. I'm fired up. I want to live my get-to life. I don't want to focus on the gospel. I'm going to put my heart there. I want to change. And then I go to work, and I forget about it, or I live life. i got to pay my bills. I run into life, and it kind of hits me, and I start to run out of steam for the things that I really care about. And that's all of us. So what we want to do today is we want to talk about how do we build in some habits. 
How, how do we build in some habits to protect my heart? It was the, the passage that we looked at last week, Proverbs 4.23. We, we said, I'll put it up here on the screen, it's not in your notes. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. How do we actively, throughout life, guard our hearts and kind of keep our heart in place? And that's what we're going to focus on today. You know, four different habits that we can look at that will kind of help secure and protect and guard my heart and keep it focused and fixed on the gospel. And we're going to really unpack that. And the, the power of habit is incredible. And every relationship that's going to be successful needs habits. It's just how it is. And we'll, we'll talk this through in, in marriage and certainly in premarital, which I get to do a lot. Of, it's a ton of fun. Right, well, when somebody's looking to get married, we'll say, hey, if you want to have a great relationship, if you're going to continue to pursue each other's hearts and keep your hearts aligned with one another, well, you're going to need to do some things. You're going to need to probably to pick some habits to fight for each other's hearts. Maybe you grab a date night, right? You should probably, like, sleep in the same bed. That's a great idea. You, you, should, you should probably get away every once in a while and get out of town for a couple days. But the idea is our relationships need habits, it helps us stay aligned and keep our hearts together, keep them fixed. So that's the same thing that's going to be true in our relationship with Jesus. I, I need some habits to lock in, and they help me stay fixed on Jesus and fixed on the message of the gospel. So that's what we're going to look at, four habits today. And we're going to have a real kind of practical conversation as we wrap up today. And I want us to walk away with some concrete things that we can kind of do and to put this in place and make sure we're pursuing our get-to life. So here's the first one. First one we said is the habit of reflection. The habit of reflection. So go ahead and jot that down if you're taking notes there. The habit of reflection. I gave a real broad definition to this. The habit of reflection, I said just simply taking time to think about God and His Word. Right, real broad. Taking time to think about God and His Word. We're going to see this come out of Psalm 119, and I go ahead and have you turn there in your Bibles if you have a Bible with you. Uh, Psalm 119, starting in verse 9, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from underneath the chairs there around you, and you can actually take that home with you if you need a copy of God's Word. We would love for you to have that if you need one. And it's page 425 in those Bibles, and, and the writer of Psalm 119 is really going to write all about the Bible and, and his relationship with God through interacting with his word, kind of reflecting on and spending time in the Bible. Go ahead and, and we'll turn there. Psalm 119, verse 9, let me read this. He says, How can a young man or young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. As I seek you with all my heart, do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and I consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. So here's this idea that, that I would reflect on the Bible. And I would reflect on kind of what God is doing in my life through the Bible. Let me give you some practical examples. So we might pick a couple verses here. Let's say we pick 14 through 16. 
right? It doesn't have to be a huge chunk of Scripture. It can be very small. It can be just a couple verses. Let's look at this one, right? I rejoice in your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I won't neglect your word. So here's one way that we might kind of reflect and look at God and interact with him through his word. Maybe we take those verses and sit down. Here's, I brought a, a journal that I have. Sit down, I might write those verses out and start thinking about and processing a couple verses at a time and say, man, Lord, do I, can I say like this writer of the Psalms that I rejoice in following your statutes, that I delight in your decrees? What's he saying with statutes and decrees? He's talking about his word here, the Bible. Have I interacted with your word in such a way that I could say that I love your word more than great riches? God, what impact have you had on my life through the Bible? I might look at that and say, well, I I came to know what marriage is through the Bible. But before I was a follower of Jesus, I didn't even believe in marriage. And I learned what marriage was by interacting with God and reading the Bible. And I learned how to do marriage through reading the Bible. And if it wasn't for the Bible and teaching me God's heart for marriage, I'm not even sure that that would happen in my life. That's huge. That brings a ton of joy into my life. I wouldn't know what I'm made for, what my purpose is if it weren't for the Bible, right? That I'm creating God's image and that God has a plan for my life and he's given me gifts and abilities and a a purpose and I can get out of bed in the morning because of what I learn about myself from the Bible. And I might write some of that stuff down and, and show up and say, God, I do delight in your decrees and I might actively practice that, kind of thinking about it, reflecting on it, from my time in Scripture. That, that might show up real practically over about 10 or 15 minutes, just jotting it down, remembering it. It, it might be, this is something I did for a while here when I had about a 25-minute commute. A lot of us have commutes, right, where I'll put my iPhone on, open the Bible app, and listen to a chapter and just put it on repeat and just keep playing it over and over. And what, what will happen is my normal rut of thought that I'm in, worrying about the day, thinking about what I have to do, right, being frustrated with whatever's going on, what happens is when I reflect and I practice this habit of reflection is it pulls me up out of that rut and it puts me into a wonder mindset. I start to capture the beauty of what God is doing in and through my life, and it changes my life. So 15 minutes, a simple, small habit. It's not rocket science. It can be super simple. Grabbing a couple verses and spending some time kind of getting it into my heart and mind can change everything. One of the things I'm practicing right now, I'm just trying this in a new way for me, is I'm taking some time to literally write down the things that I see God doing in my life. Right, just taking some time. So when God answers a prayer or, or there's an act of kindness that, uh, that somebody gives to me or shows to me, I write that down. And I'm trying to practice that more and more because I, I want to see what God's doing. I don't want to miss it. You know, I, I want to see the wonder of the things that God is actively doing in my heart and in my life. And that's, that's fun. It's kind of an adventure, an experiment. And I like that. I like us viewing these habits that way. It's not something to get right. It's not something to to measure my righteousness by. It's something that I want to keep my relationship with God fresh in. Does that make sense? It's the habit of reflection. It's powerful, and it is life-changing. Usually what happens is I'm reflecting on uh, who God is and in His Word, 
typically what will happen is that will lead me into this next habit, and these can kind of even combine. And that's going to be the, the habit of confession. The habit of confession. Here's how I define this one, define it pretty broadly. Taking ownership for my flaws before God and people. If you're taking notes, jot that down. Taking ownership for my flaws or my sins before God and people. And depending on your background, when you hear the word confession, there might be all kinds of things that, that come to mind. I want to define this biblically, and here's how we would look at this. I just threw a, a verse up here on the screen out of 1 Timothy where Paul talks about kind of how we mediate our relationship with God. Here's what he says. He says, there is uh, one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. So Paul would look to Timothy and say, here's kind of a, a universal truth. When we are separated from God because of our sin, there's only one person who can bring peace between us and God, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. And so we're talking about confession. The first time we confess, that's really when our relationship with Jesus starts. But then after that, we have a habit of confession. Because my heart, even though I've been forgiven and I have salvation, I have forgiveness, my heart is going to misalign from Jesus' heart. I'm going to sin. That's the reality of life here on the planet. I wish I could be perfect, but I'm not going to be so. When my attitude slips or my mouth slips or there's a habit that develops in my life, I, I want to look at God and say, Lord, I'm sorry for that. I take ownership of that. Lord, you saw me just be prideful. You saw those words come out of my mouth. I I'm sorry. I want to change. Will you help me to be different? And, and I want to realign my heart back to your heart. And that can be something as simple as wh when I'm jotting down and looking at scripture and making notes, maybe this pops up into my mind, something that I've done to offend God. And I can jot that down and say, Lord, here we go. And what happens, the power of this habit is it keeps my heart clean. Keeps my heart clean, right? So rather than allowing kind of that, the plaque of sin to grow up on my heart, what happens is through confession, it, it stays clean. So bitterness can't build up in my life if I'm constantly confessing that sin, confessing unforgiveness and dealing with it, right? Anger can't build up in my life if I'm constantly forgiving and, and working through and confessing things back to God. And there's a side of this that it's between me and God, and I would say that's probably most of it. It's probably most of how it plays out. There's another side that, that would fill out the conversation and the habit of confession that does involve other people and is very powerful as well. I put this th through here on your notes up on the screen here, James 5, 16. James says this, really in the context of healing, he says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. So here's what he's saying. In the, re in the relationship that we have with other people and other believers, there's a couple things that's going on here. One is I might sin against someone else. I had this happen in a meeting two weeks ago where, where I, I was driving at a point. This sometimes happens to me when I get kind of worked up in a meeting and get focused on something, and I, I push something too far in a meeting and had to apologize to somebody. I have to do this probably every few months. I'll kind of blow it a little bit, and I know in my own heart that I've hurt someone, and I have to kind of own that. And I had to go to this guy and apologize to him. 
you know, and say, brother, I am sorry. I knew I, I shouldn't have brought that up when I did. should have brought that up in private. Will you forgive me for that? You know, he said, of course, and we worked it through. I had to confess my sin to him. Now, there's another side of it, right? So there's a side where I hurt people, and sometimes I have to own that and deal with it and kind of get peace in a situation. The other side is I might just need accountability, where I'll look and say, bro, my heart is drifting. I, I need you to check in on me. I'm starting to love some things more than Jesus, or this habit's developing in my life. Will you help me with that? Will you pray for me, and will you help me stay on track? Where I'll involve an accountability partner as part of the habit of confession in my life. And there's something amazing that happens when I look at another human being and I tell them that I'm sinning or I'm struggling in an area, it becomes real in a different way. It just does. When I say it out loud, I realize, I think, the presence of God in a more concrete way as I look at a human being and see them respond. And in the same way as they pray for me and work with me and help me realize that Jesus forgives me, it helps that to become more real as well. The power of confession, right, the power of that habit is incredible. And you put these two together, and it is a powerhouse of a habit. And some of the folks that study spiritual growth would, would look and say, what we have found is that the power of reflection, especially when you combine it with confession, nothing will change us faster and more regularly than that habit playing out in our lives. These two together are a powerful combination and they're incredibly practical. Habit of reflection, the habit of confession, and then we're going to look at another habit, the habit of generosity. The habit of generosity. And here's how we defined this one. Habit of generosity, giving as an expression of gratitude to God for what he's given to me. Giving as an expression of gratitude to God for what he has given to me. I'm going to turn us over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I want us to see this passage that Paul talking to Timothy again. And here's what he says in verse 17, chapter 6. Flip over a couple pages there and to, to that chapter. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, to be willing to share. In the same way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So a couple things we need to know as we look at this passage. Paul's going to say, hey, look at the people who are rich in this present world and tell them don't be arrogant. It's not that being rich is bad, but we need to understand how Paul is defining being rich. So in the, in the first century, being rich meant something different than it means today. Right? We would tend to think of someone who is rich that has a, just a ton of resources. Rich in first century world is more like this. The difference between rich and poor is the difference between people that have their basic needs met and those who have more than their basic needs met. And that's kind of the dividing line between rich and poor. It's more of a survival mentality. So in this world, he's defined it this way. If I have more than my clothes and my food to eat right, and a house to live in and maybe transportation, then by biblical standards, I am rich. I have more than I need. So certainly that, that's true of all of us today. If my basic needs are met, I am in the camp of those who are rich. And he's saying that that's not necessarily a problem, except that I have to watch that I don't 
turn my heart away from God in the, in the midst of my riches and put my hope in wealth. He says, because it's so uncertain. Right? It's not something that I can build my life on. I want to protect that. And the way that I'll protect my heart is through the habit of generosity. Something powerful happens when I, when I remove my heart from my stuff. And generosity does that. And that can show up in a ton of practical ways. The primary way the Bible would talk about generosity showing up is through regular kind of systematic giving or tithing is the word that we would use. Giving 10% of my income back to God. And here's the idea of that. Right? It comes out kind of in the, even in the Old Testament. The realization that we as human beings, Deuteronomy would say it this way, that God has given us the ability to produce wealth. So we would look and say, God, you have set me up. You gave me life. You gave me my abilities. You set me in a family that developed me. You gave me opportunities to have education. Right? You gave me the relationships and the, the positions to have the job that I have. And, and all that I am has been made and created really by you. I'm not self-made. It's an admission that's to say, God, you have made me. You're the one that gives me the ability to produce wealth. Thank you. And as a thank you back to you, I'm going to extend generosity. I'm going to give back to you and say, thank you for that. And God knows that that's what's best for us. That when I separate my wealth from my heart, that that is what's best for my heart. As I invest into the kingdom and invest into people. And here's what I would say, especially if, if you have come from a background where generosity has been abused, either you personally or you know someone where that situation has played out, I would say this, if you're considering giving and you're not sure yet here at Grace even, let me just say this, don't give here if you can't in faith give. Right? If you're not ready to start giving at Grace, don't. Even if you're not a Christ follower, don't worry about that. Here's what I would say, though. Practice the habit of generosity. No matter where, if you're given at grace, you're given somewhere else, practice the habit of removing the stuff from my heart. Because here's what Jesus would say. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's what's best for me when, when I separate my wealth from my heart. And the habit and the practice of doing that regularly is what matters the most. Right? That, that's the key thing is Jesus wants our hearts, not our money. The thing is they're connected together, and so the habit of generosity will help me keep my heart free from the love of money, which scripturally would be the primary habit, or, or excuse me, the primary trap that, that would grab my heart and pull me into the love of money. Generosity is the key to breaking that. Great way to, to see my heart stay free and stay the gospel as the center of it. Habit of reflection, the habit of confession, habit of generosity, all of these are holding my heart in place fixed on the gospel. And then finally, the habit of community. The habit of community. Here's how we defined community. The habit of community, we said this, that regularly meeting with other Christ followers for encouragement and accountability. Regularly meeting with other Christ followers for encouragement and accountability. This comes out of Hebrews chapter 10. I'll read this to us real quick. A couple pages to the right in uh, your Bibles, Hebrews 10, 23. Writer of Hebrews says this. It says, let us hold unswervingly 
and to the hope we profess. For he who promises faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And the day in this context means the day that Jesus comes back. And what the writer says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let us hold on and keep our hearts fixed on our hope, on the hope of the gospel. And we need each other to do that. The reality is this, that I cannot live my get-to life alone. I can't. I can't keep my heart fixed here all by myself. That's one of the reasons that God gave the church the church, that we would help each other stay fixed and focused on Jesus. We need community and we need each other. And even if we could pull off following Jesus all by ourselves, what would happen is we would actually be stealing, stealing encouragement and strength and accountability right, and relationship from other Christ followers because of our relationship with Jesus. Right? We need each other. I need you and you need me. And that's just how it is. That's the habit of community. And the, the primary way that's going to show up here at Grace is through our group life. It can show up in a, a ton of different forms, but groups are the, the main way that community shows up here at Grace. And, and one of the ways that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really see my need for community is over time, this habit will help some of the other ones to stay in place. And when life gets rough, like we talked about a few weeks ago, the, the need for community and what community does in my life shoots through the roof. I shared with you guys a few weeks ago that, you know, I've been kind of recovering from viral meningitis. And when I, during my time down, I saw my community come to life. Right, the people that are kind of close in in my life came and they prayed and they checked in and they wrote cards and they made meals and they offered to help in practical ways and they carried a load that my family couldn't quite carry for a little while. And I saw, man, the need for community is huge. Right, and I really see that show up when life strikes. We need each other. Right? We, we learn from one another, we help one another, and we are family to one another when, when life just kind of shows up. The habit of reflection, confession, generosity, and community, these are not the only habits that we can have to have the gospel in place, but boy, this would be an awesome place for us to focus and to start. So what do we do with this? How, how do we move out of this conversation and move out of this series in a way that I know that I'm pursuing my get-to life, I'm keeping the gospel at the center? I realize that as some of us look at this list and kind of look at this picture, some of us are feeling overwhelmed. We're saying, I don't even know where I am in all of this. I don't even know if my heart is here. I don't know if my heart's set on the gospel yet. Or I would say, if that's where you are, that's the first step. To look and say, have I come to know Jesus yet, that I'm deeply flawed and deeply loved and I can be completely forgiven through my faith in Jesus. And if you haven't made that decision, that's step one. If you want more information or you need a conversation, friends, there's nothing we would want more than to have that conversation. Let us know. Reach out. Let us know on the connection card. We would love to connect with you or just grab us in the lobby and have that conversation with you. Some of us might say, I, I think I have that in place, but I don't have any of this firing yet in my life. 
right? What do I do? Where do I start? If you have no idea kind of how to put this into practice, I would say the cleanest, easiest step for you to take is to come today to Discovery Group, right? It's going to be super hot. Come inside. We have air conditioning. It'll be wonderful, right? We'll spend some time together, and we'll help you get started. The cleanest, easiest step you can take. And I, I realize that there's a bunch of us who would look at this list and say, you know what? I tried some of these before. You know, I tried doing the Bible reading thing and I fell off that. Or I tried the community thing and I couldn't find a good fit. Or my life group shut down. Or I, I don't know if I should. Let me just say this. If you failed at pursuing these habits just like I have, or if somebody failed you or kind of the system broke down, let me just say this. Start over. Right, start over. Give yourself grace. Give other people grace. Right? J- just like we would look at diet and exercise, we can't look at that and say, hey, I tried it and it didn't work. The reality is these things will change us. They will help us. So we want to continue to start over and have a second chance and start pursuing something. And that's what I would say if you would look and say, I have a one or two in place, what do I do next? Wherever we are, just pick one. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. Jump on the one that scared you. Right? When I'm talking through these, if one of them jumped out to you and you thought, ooh, I don't know about that one, try there. Right? Grab that one because when we get out of our comfort zone, change starts to happen. Right? We start to see movement and momentum in our own lives. Because here's the thing. If we want what we've always had, we should just keep doing what we've always done. But if we want to change, we have to do something different. We have to start to try new things that might feel a little uncomfortable at first. But boy, if I want to be in a place more and more and more where my heart is filled with wonder, it's worth getting out of my comfort zone and trying some habits that keep my heart fixed on the gospel. I want to have the band come out. I want us to process this and and really with concrete action say, God, where would you have me start? Am I starting with the gospel? Am I starting with giving myself or others grace and saying, Lord, I need to push reset on all this and, and start again? And ultimately, God, what habit would you have me land on and have me focus on. Maybe for the next 30 days, I want to I put this one or this one or this one into practice. God, would you lead me? Would you give me a concrete place to start pursuing your heart and your passion for me? Can we do that? Let's pray together as the band leads us. Father, we say thank you that you provide for us not only your gospel, the the truth that you sent your son to save us and rescue us from ourselves, uh, your passion, your love for us. Lord, you you give us habits and disciplines that that help us to pursue you. And God, I pray for each one that, that you would put practical steps, real action, grit into our relationship that can show up and we can start to see change happen. Lord, would you surface those in our hearts and minds even now? Lead us to a habit to to focus on and to fix our energy on and to pursue your heart 
through. Lord, we, we want to be people with open hearts. And we want your peace and your contentment and your wonder to show up in our lives. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.